when Christ says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, so then paradise can't be heaven because Christ, even though he's paid for the sin debt, he has not become or rose victorious over the grave, over death. Right. And John 14, 6 shows us that no man comes to the Father but by Christ. Yeah, Yeah, no one's bridging that glassy sea absent the resurrection. I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about what the Bible has to say on the afterlife. Heaven, hell, and paradise are the topics that we're going to be chatting about. We're going to also be asking theological questions about where Christ went Uh, after he died. Uh, Did Christ descend to the dead? And if so, what was he doing down there? Uh, These questions and more uh, with Pastor Dan Renault of Living Faith Lee Summit in Lee Summit, Missouri. And he is the faculty professor of biblical studies here at the Living Faith Bible Institute. And so uh, he's also one of my best friends. So it makes it fun to to hang out with him and and to have this conversation. So with all that, I want to welcome Dan onto the show. Thanks for having me. You ready for this? Probably not. <laughs> we'll do the best we this can. Is, this is a sometimes kind of a controversial thing, which I guess I wasn't fully aware of. Uh, this is something that growing up, at least in the churches that I was in, this is kind of taken for granted as a, a fact of scripture, mm-hmm. but uh, it hasn't always been received that way. Uh, so, you know, as we open up the dialogue on this, I just want to ask you, what are the opponents to the descent of Christ, um, the belief that Christ descended down to Sheol, what are those opponents saying and, and what are their justifications? Well, yeah, even before we get into that, when I was teaching um, Life of Christ in mm-hmm. LFBI, uh, we were going over this very topic of Abraham's bosom, Christ descending to the deep, and uh, a lot of the students had questions afterwards. Mm. And again, like you were saying, I, I was kind of, after the class was over, people hung around and we started walking through and I thought, oh, wow, maybe I need to address this more, you know, because it's mm-hmm. just something I think that we've kind of just accepted based upon the text that we have. Um, there are a few opponents or opposing views, and I'm probably not getting all of them, but the first one I think, which is what most people deal with, is the idea or the notion that when Christ descended to the deep that he suffered mm-hmm. or that he was tormented in hell. Right. And... And obviously, the scriptures don't show that, and we don't believe that, but that is one of the opposing views. Yeah, it makes people uncomfortable to think that that was going right, rightfully so, that yeah, Christ yeah. suffered not only on the cross, but now he's suffering in hell, which is, is traditionally a, more of a Catholic dogma. Yes, which goes into a purgatorial context, mm-hmm. although, and that's where some people would have problems with it, because... Purgatory is a, you know, according to Catholic teaching and the catechism, that's a purification for right. the saint who is not perfectly pure, mm-hmm. right? And we're, we don't have time to get into the, the weeds of that. For the Catholic Church and from their perspective, purgatory is Abraham's bosom. But what we'll see as we, we talk today, I think we'll see that they function very differently. Yeah, right. And so for some... Bible believers, or even from another perspective, they're going to say, no, Christ did not go to hell to suffer 
to suffer some type of purgatorial time mm-hmm. frame, he was already 100% pure. Yeah. Which we would say, yeah. Yeah. Right. But that brings up other questions. Mm-hmm. The other one would be, well, Christ, when he died on the cross, he was buried for three days and three nights. So he was buried. Yeah. He wasn't doing anything. And we can address that later on as well, is, mm-hmm. is that, yes, he was lying, his body was in the grave, but... but right, which is prob- problematic because the Bible's teaching on the human conscious is that that when your body is dead, your soul and your spirit right. are absent from that body. They have to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And so there's not this annihilation mm-hmm. that some people will want to assume with mm-hmm. hell or death. Right. Um, I think the third one would be, and this was surprising as you kind of look into it, that that Abraham's bosom or Christ descending to the deep teaches some type of universalist teaching in that Christ paid the, the price. When he went to hell, he paid the price for all humanity, mm. which we know he did. Like, mm-hmm. like we know that he did pay the price, but that disregards the responsibility of human, uh, of mankind, right. accepting that gift of salvation. Right. And so what they would say is, and the opponents of it, who in some ways are Bible believers, they would say, well, we can't accept a universalist teaching of, you know, where, yeah, there might be a hell, but it's not forever. Yeah. And when Christ went down to hell... He delivered everyone. He, everyone. Right. And so, yeah, you might suffer for a little bit, but in the end, God's going to rescue all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so th- because of that, they see it, they, they interpret it wrong uh, in that way. And then the last one I think is uh, in regards to what some people say is, well, Abraham's bosom was a, a late addition to the Apostles' Creed. Even if we aren't going to address the biblical evidence of Abraham's bosom, when you're looking at the, like the historicity of it, the church fathers, you know, Polycarp, yeah. Ignatius, Justin Martyr, um, some of these individuals. Irenaeus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they would say, even by 200 AD, they're, they're speaking of this as a recognized doctrine. Yeah. So even if we just wanted to accept some type of church history as a testimony, we have church fathers who are suggesting so. Now, mm-hmm. Augustine, right, is not. Mm-hmm. which we then, we're not trying to mock or ridicule, but that's where we begin to see why Catholics are starting to have a purgatory, which is different than an Abraham's bosom. One is for suffering and purification. Abraham's bosom, as we see in the Bible, is for comfort. Mm -hmm. So those are, I think, some of the oppositions. And and so, you know, we're already assuming a knowledge set from our listeners a little bit. Uh, We just dived right into all of the opposing views, but it's good because it kind of clears the air. It sets a standard for the conversation. And so as we move through our conversation today, a lot of the definitions that need to come up will come up and we'll explain a lot of this stuff uh, as, as we go. Um, I think it's important for us as we begin to, to discuss the, the post-mortem theology of Abraham's bosom to, to set the stage for what that is. Can you help us by giving us a biblical case for a place of the dead that preceded the eternal resting place that we refer to as heaven. Yeah, so critics will say that there's not enough biblical evidence for Abraham's bosom, but when you spend just a little bit of time studying, you're going to find that that there's passages all throughout Scripture. Now, the phrase Abraham's bosom only does appear one time. Mm-hmm. That's Luke 16. If I was wanting to do my own study, which I did, but mm-hmm. if I was doing my own study, I would start there. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the only way you could do it. There's a lot of different angles that I think we're going to try to 
tackle while we, while we talk. Mm-hmm. But I would start at Luke 16. Um, it's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, it's a long passage. We could we could kind of hone down starting in verse 22 if 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 we want. Um, again, this is the only time the phrase appears. But Luke 16, 22 says, and it came to pass that the beggar died, that's Lazarus, mm-hmm. and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And so it, I think it's healthy for us to start there. If we continue in verse 23, it says, and in hell, we're speaking of the rich man, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. So hell is not a state of mind. That's mm-hmm. a very popular thing right now where people are trying to lessen the severity of hell. Right. And, and it's an allegorical approach to scripture. Right. In torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And so these are all present. This is not something not to get ahead of ourselves, but this is not something that's speaking of the lake of fire right. towards the, the the final judgment. Hell is a place of torment already. Right. It's not just dark and black and you know gloomy. It's a place of torment. Right. It says, but Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. So Abraham's bosom then, we deduce, is a place of comfort, not of suffering, not of torment, uh, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you, even if people wanted to, neither can they pass to us Mm -hmm. uh, that would come from thence. And so as you read this passage, to me, it's one of the, it it produces a a graphic visual. Yeah. I mean, as you, and we could even go on in the passage, um, but it's it's it really shows you the dichotomy between Abraham's bosom and hell, um, the two locales. Yeah. So explain that. Paint for us the picture. What is it that we are visualizing? What's what's happening here, and and what do we understand from it in terms of there's Abraham and Lazarus over here, mm-hmm. and then there's the rich man over here. Explain what we're looking at to help us better understand. They're adjacent to one another, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you see that from this text, you know, so when, when someone's wanting to say, you know, where's hell or where is Abraham's bosom? Well, they're, they're adjacent to one next to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a way for the rich man to speak to Abraham. Abraham is operating as um, the guy in charge, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is very significant, you know, if we have time to get into that later. But the rich man is, is speaking to him in torments while Lazarus is comforted. But if I was to continue, like like wanting to have a biblical understanding of this locale, namely of Abraham's bosom, I'd probably then go to Luke 23. So Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. Luke 23, uh, Christ is on the cross. The two malefactors are with him. One is deriding him and the other one is saying, man, you know. Yeah, uh, I want what you have. Again, also to the, to the other guy, like, Bro, you're, yeah, we're in right. a bad spot, you know. Yeah. Quit ridiculing. This <laughs> right, we're, right. we're, yeah. we're well, in a cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, verse thirty-nine of Luke twenty-three, it says, "And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us.' And everyone was saying that, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a very demonic thing. Sure, take yourself off the cross. Don't mm-hmm. pay for the sins of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so the malefactors are, are doing it as well. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost that not thou fear God?'" seeing thou art in the same condemnation. 
And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's a very important mm-hmm. word too. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, we could just go over that. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. This guy got saved. Right. Number one, it's, it's a salvation regarding the kingdom. You know, Christ mm-hmm. had not died yet. This is a conversation, the gospel of the kingdom mm-hmm. um, in, in regards to what we're speaking of. Christ then says, you know, as this man has acknowledged him as king. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lord. Yes. Well, today you'll see me in paradise. Right. Well, that begs the question now, what's paradise and where's mm-hmm. paradise? You right. Know, because we can immediately assume, well, paradise is heaven. Mm-hmm. But that disregards something I think very important, not just inspirationally, but fundamentally, is that, yes, okay, so... So Christ died on the cross, or he will, Mm -hmm. in short order. Right. He's going to die on the cross. Um, And so that means he paid for our sin debt. But there has not been the resurrection. Right. And so when when Christ says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, well, so then paradise can't be heaven. Because Christ, even though he's paid for the sin debt, he has not become or rose victorious over the grave, over death. Right. And John 14, 6 shows us that, no man comes to the Father but by Christ. Yeah, yeah no one's bridging that glassy sea absent the resurrection. Without the resurrection. Without- Which is a really, really, really important doctrinal note because people who who don't have a full systematic, a full theological view of the afterlife have to grapple with what, were, what happened to Old Testament saints, which is what we're going to get into in a minute. Right. This thief on the cross went down to Abraham's bosom with Christ. Mm-hmm. So this is, the, this is the descent to the deep that we're right. speaking of. Right. Matthew 12.40 affirms this, but also some people would question it. Matthew 12.40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Mm-hmm. But what we know is that Christ wasn't just lying around. Right. Right. He, he just said it. Yeah. He just said it in Luke. Hey, right. today I'll see you in paradise. Yeah. So even though he was in the grave, and this is where we have to have some understanding. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned it. Mm-hmm. His body laid in the ground, mm-hmm. but his soul, his, his spirit was released. Even on the cross, he yielded up the ghost. Right. He says in what Luke 23, 46, um, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And so there was a releasing of his spirit from his body at this point. Body was in the grave, but his, his, his spirit, his soul was still very much awake, yeah. very much alive. There, there, there was no concept of, of soul sleep. No, no, the body was in the grave. The body is sleeping, but the soul is absolutely awake. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is critical. And again, this gets back into the, the biblical view of the human conscious and, and the, mm-hmm. the body, soul, spirit, that tripartite theology that we would hold to. Um, it's, it's important for us to understand that the Bible, in almost every case, when referring to an individual, is referring to them at the soul level. Yeah, the real you. The real you is the soul you. And so for Jonah to be in the belly of the whale and Christ to be in the heart of the, the earth, this speaks to the placement of where Christ's soul is. To back up a bit, we're talking about Abraham's bosom in hell, often referred to as Sheol 
or hell sometimes is kind of like a general term that's used to encompass both Abraham's bosom mm -hmm. and this place of torment. Um, it's a place of descent, which we're going to talk about more, which means it's down in the lower parts of the earth. Mm -hmm. And it's like a compartment. It's a compartment somewhere within the earth. We don't know where it's at, but yet it's, it's got these two parts and they are separated by a gulf that no one can cross. Right. It's inescapable for both parties. Yes. Abraham's bosom is even inescapable. Yes. And hell is inescapable. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Now, the, the question uh, that we should ask next, I think, is what for? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. why was this place created? What's the intent? Um, and, and maybe give us a little bit of a theology of hell itself and, and uh, why it was made to begin with. So just a couple minutes ago, we were talking about the thief on the cross. Christ says today, you know, you'll be with me in paradise. But what you see is that, again, without the resurrection, even those who placed their faith in God in the Old Testament had no access to the holy God the Father, like mm -hmm. thrice holy God the Father. There was no way for them to enter into his presence without a righteous representation of Christ mm -hmm. on their behalf. And so if we want to speak about Abraham's bosom, what was, what was the purpose of it? This was a holding place for those who were, were um, uh, th that believed in God in yeah. the Old Testament. But there was, so it was a place of comfort. It was a place of rest. Um, but there was no access to the Father in and of themselves, yeah. which is why the resurrection, like we just said, is so important for the thief on the cross, but for every Old Testament saint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, one could argue that you have Abraham's bosom, you have hell, but then you also have, you know, the lowest hell, which, you know, is referred to like Gehenna, if I'm saying right. it right. Right. Um, and so there's these, you know, parts of hell, um, the lowest, you know, mm -hmm. um, you have a place where, you know, those who were disobedient to God and who rejected God, uh, children of no faith. Um, and then you have obviously Abraham's bosom. Um, Deuteronomy 32, 22 is where the first mention of hell is mentioned. But if you start off in the very beginning, what you find, and, and we could read verses four through six, it says, sure. you know, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. So automatically we're starting to understand the context of this passage that uses the word hell mm -hmm. is beginning with a notion of judgment mm -hmm. and that God is judge. Yeah. Uh, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So he judges righteously. Mm -hmm. um, they have corrupted themselves. Now, this is interesting. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They don't, the ones who, who go to this place, they don't look like his kids. Mm -hmm. These are not his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath not he made thee and established thee? And so the very first thing that you see in this passage is that, is that hell is a place of judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the first thing. I think the second thing, if, if we were to read through it, and we're not, we're not gonna read the whole chapter, but verse five also shows you that hell is for a corrupted creation. Right. Right. We could go to Matthew 25, 41, that says that hell was only, you know, prepared for the devil and his angels. And, and we, could, we could say that, what was the purpose of hell? Well, it was only for the devil and, and the fallen angels. It was its original intent. That was its original intent. Before the fall. Before the fall. And yet right. now, 
because God is just and right, and because he has to judge wickedness as a righteous judge, mm-hmm. and he will, mm-hmm. um, well, hell is a place of judgment. Mm-hmm. Hell is now also a place for a corrupted creation, which we see in verse 5. Um, if we were to, to continue on verse 19, uh, we see that hell is um, connected with separation. I mean, it's just a, it's a fantastic yeah. uh reference in the Bible. I mean, mm-hmm. God is is clearly telling us everything that we need to know, and obviously he gives us more in Deuteronomy 32. So you have judgment, a corrupted creation. Verse 19, a, there's separation from God. Hell mm-hmm. is separation. So yeah. it says, and when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. So when he saw their, their rebellion, their rejection of him, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward yeah. generation, children in whom is no faith. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, tells us a lot. So yeah. wh- who's who's hell for? Oh, children of no faith. Yeah, people that that never place their faith in God. Yeah, and what's the consequence? Well, we know it's it's two things. It's um, that's God's not there. They can't see His face, mm-hmm. right? Which that would be a very fine definition for hell is the place where God's not. Right, like, and, and I think some people want to stop there. Again, mm-hmm. this is trying to take the severity out of hell. Well, hell is a state of mind, when in reality, from Luke 16, we know that the rich man was not just in a state of mind. Mm-hmm. Every part of his being, that's the thing about hell, emotionally, spiritually, physically, every part of his being was, was, was enduring the judgment of God. Yeah, right. So there, there's not a compartmentalization of, of well, hell is, is separation from God. It is that, yeah. but it's not only that. Right. And that's where, at times, people want to take away yeah. the judgment they want of to God. Di- they want to diminish the torment. Because it's horrible. It is horrible. Yeah. Which should rather infuse our evangelism. Instead of becoming more of a publisher of the gospel, we want to lessen the severity of his judgment. When we diminish the need for repentance. and then Absolutely. You, then that's the slippery slope towards universalism that people fear, mm-hmm. I suppose. Well, and speaking of universalism, the last part of Deuteronomy 32, 36, 39, basically says that, that no one can deliver you out of my hand. Mm-hmm. Hell is inescapable. Mm-hmm. So no, yeah. there's not a temporary hell. There's not a purgatory. Hell is, is an inescapable place. Yeah. I think it's really interesting too, as we're talking about just um, the relationship between hell and Abraham's bosom, you know, hell is a place where Christ does not show his face. Like God isn't, God is hidden from those. Right. There's separation between, but yet David says of Sheol, you know, if I lay my head in Sheol, not referring, I mean, this is David we're talking about, not mm-hmm. referring to torment or hell. Mm-hmm. He's referring to that place within the compartment that is paradise. Yeah. And he says, if I'm, even if I'm there, you're with me. Yes. It affects the way we understand the makeup and location and the way it's constructed and what its purpose is. So, okay. So we've got hell. Second mm-hmm. Thessalonians 1.8 talks about it being a place of punishment, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, which is yep. what we just talked about. Now, there's also a final judgment, and I just want to hit this briefly because I think it's important to our understanding overall. There's a final judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so there's another place within the construct of the earth referred to as the lake of fire. And at the great white throne judgment, uh, at the end of the millennial reign, Mm -hmm. 
all those that were in hell previously uh, and, and stand in judgment before God will be cast ultimately into the lake of fire. And, and so we, I think it's important for us to understand at least that there is, that there are um, uh, successive, uh, you know, um, proceedings here, just like, yeah. just like what we're going to talk about in terms of leading captivity captive, there was another ultimate place for the saints of old. There is also another ultimate place, a, a final destination, if you will, for those who right. have not repented. So you have uh, Revelation 19, uh, verse 20, it deals with Satan being cast into, it says, a lake of fire, mm-hmm. not the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people listening can study that out more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's at the beginning of the millennial reign. Mm-hmm. And then Revelation 20, like you were saying, has this, this millennial reign context. At the end, Satan is loosed from that pit uh, for a season. There's a proving of the nations. Uh, at the end of that, man, Christ just kicks tail pretty quickly. Yeah. Right? Takes care of business. Yeah. And then, yes, there's a judgment, white throne judgment. And then at, at following that, hell is, is you know, cast into the lake of fire. Interesting thing is, is the lake of fire is spoken of after there is a new heaven and a new earth. So where is the locale of hell? Now, you know, there's so many passages in the Bible that speak of hell being in the earth, you know, at the center of the earth. Following the new heaven and new earth as hell is brought up and cast into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. You know, where is that location? Probably smarter people than me yeah. know that answer, yeah. but it's an interesting it is, It's an interesting study knowing that at the end of the millennial reign, at the point that we are in the third heaven and, and, and living and dwelling with God in a, in a new heaven, new earth, um, everything melts with a fervent heat, right? So like whatever the matter left of, of the universe, um, earth certainly will be done away with, which is why I think it's interesting that hell is cast into a lake of fire. In other words, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's being moved. And, and so how that looks is... Is yeah, up for yeah. some debate. Yeah, and I'm probably not the guy. That's a whole. That's a whole other episode. Maybe. Yes. Um, can you explain the concept? Let's get into the concept of of Christ's descent itself, and um, maybe talk about the scripture references associated with uh, this idea that Christ descended down to um, Abraham's bosom. Mm-hmm. So, First Peter, chapter three, verses eighteen and nineteen is actually a, I think a, a really good reference. It says. For Christ also hath suffered for sins. Now, when he said on the cross, it is finished, mm-hmm. we understand that it was finished. And so there's no longer continued suffering, which is one of the opposing views. Yeah. We would say, you're right. You know, right. He, he's not suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. It's an interesting phrase. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so he suffered, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Mm-hmm. So then the first question it's a I think- very we, strange statement. Well, I think we have to ask, who, who are these spirits mm-hmm. that he's preaching to in prison, following his death on the cross, following his suffering? Like, like you asked in the very beginning, what's he doing down there? Yeah. Uh, so who are these spirits? Well, if you look at Second Peter 2, 4, 
I think it gives us insight. Mm-hmm. It says that God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So we're starting to get a context of, so Christ preached to the spirits in prison. Who is he preaching to? Well, Second Peter 2, 4, I think gives an answer. Jude 1, 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, right? God created them with a purpose. They fell from that. They fell with Lucifer. It says they kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So when you look at 2 Peter 2, 4, 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, Jude 1, 6, I think what you find is that this is really a reference to Genesis 6. Mm-hmm. This is a reference to the fallen angels uh, yeah. and what was happening you know, even before the flood. Uh, and so the scripture tells us that God has chained some of those in hell mm-hmm. until that final judgment. Yeah. And so if we take those passages and we consider even the passages of Luke 16, Luke 23, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 32 even, what we mm-hmm. find is that Christ went down to hell, not to suffer, but to preach. Yeah, He went down there to, to, uh, to those fallen angels and to say, oh yeah, I did it. Yeah, like, and, and, I finished it, and it's clear. And if you if you continue on in First Peter three, verses twenty through twenty through, t- tell you the sermon that he was preaching, and it's a really relevant sermon if you understand Genesis chapter six and what took place in the f- flood and what that judgment was for. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a perversion on the earth, right? Um, and and so without getting into that in, in too in depth, what we discover is that Christ is catching them up on everything that's happened from that time of Noah. And he's like, just, just like that judgment that existed, uh, now Christ is resurrected. Now I'm, now I'm resurrected. And, and he's declaring his authority. Uh, you know, like he's, he's preparing them for what's to come, the resurrection and then the ultimate reigning and ruling. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. This it's is, pretty insane. It's a breakdown. And, yeah. and it's also kind of a, like in your face. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a message of condemnation. I mean, mm-hmm. he's preaching, to these these spirits in hell, uh, but, but I don't believe that's the only message. Mm-hmm. And, and if you go to First Peter four six, which is just a chapter later, it says, "For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead." So in First Peter three eighteen, mm-hmm. it says that that he preached to the spirits in prison. Right. One could argue that that's the totality of hell, both Abraham's bosom and hell, and, and you right know, to everyone. Right. Um, but you could also understand that as a message to the fallen angels. And then in chapter four, six, a message of the gospel was preached. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say this is, is if we keep reading, it says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, that there's a, a right judgment. You died. Yeah. yeah. But live yeah. according to God and the spirit. And you could also even understand that or interpret it as an allusion to the, to the judgment seat of Christ where every believer will one day be judged for the actions that they, they oh, do. Oh, yeah, right. There's, there's right. multiple ways of, right. of, of mm-hmm. viewing the passage, uh, dual application, yes. if you will. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, John 5, 24 through 29, it says, the dead shall hear his voice, and that is the voice of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. It's like, so we have all these passages that constantly reaffirm this notion that Christ, yes, after his death, he wasn't just in the grave, his body was. But, but his soul, man, he's, he's preaching to the spirits in prison. 
but yet he's also turns around and he preaches to the souls that are that are in Abraham's mm-hmm. bosom yeah. a message of the gospel that it's finished. I did it. Mm-hmm. Everything that you've hoped for and maybe didn't fully understand. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament, they they fully they didn't fully understand the, the depths of what God was doing. Right. Well, Christ was giving them the lowdown on it. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's a incredible thing. So so in one way you have a message of condemnation, but in the other way you have a message declaring the gospel and victory over the grave. Yeah. And that's why I was saying earlier that that hell and Abraham's bosom, without the righteous representation of Christ, both were inescapable. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even get over to the other side of the gulf, let alone heaven. Right. Yeah. And so Christ, his his message was was a jailbreak. Yes. You know? Which to that point, he, you know, Ephesians chapter four teaches us that. So maybe, maybe explain to us, you know, at least scripturally, how we understand the jailbreak, what, like how that took place. At least we're given very little information, but it's the, uh, it's very powerful and it's yeah. very frank. It's a very frank information. Right. And, and we can read that in just a second, but, but I think something to, to maybe lead us to that mm-hmm. revelation one eighteen it says that he took the, the keys of hell and death. Yeah. Uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Because he's got the keys. I mean, he he is that thief in the night. I know that that's the context of that passage is different, but he 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 stole from the strong man. Yeah, you know, like he he bound him. Like he, right. and he took these these men. The gates of hell were 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 locked. I'm going to take that key. Yeah, I mean, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You know. Death, where's your sting? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, we talk about Romans chapter six uh, declares his victory over death. But um, what we get is this really literal statement in Revelation one eighteen that he that he has taken the keys to death and right. hell, yeah. which is a declaration of authority over that location. In other words, he's now yes. that he is now the gatekeeper. Yeah, you thought you were in charge. Yeah, I just usurped it all. Right. Yeah, with with my death. Now he hasn't resurrected yet, but that's what's about to happen. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, if we turn to Ephesians four verses seven through ten, it says, "But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ." Wherefore he saith, "When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men." Now verse nine. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first. Yeah, it's almost, so. What's the like? What is it's not a big deal if he's ascended before what's he a, ascended though, right? Now he went. He he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Mm-hmm. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Yeah. And so this act from Ephesians four, which was taken from, and I think I have that uh, in Psalm sixty-eight. Psalm sixty-eight. I'll read through it really quickly. Verse one. It says, "Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him, as smoke is driven away." So drive them away as wax melteth before the fire. So let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Mm. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Verse six, God setteth the solitary in families. All these who died, he's bringing them to be part of his family. Uh, He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Here's verse 18. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. 
Verse 20, he that is our God, he is the God of salvation. And unto God, the Lord belong the issues from death, but God shall wound the head of his enemies. So in verse 20, it says that just like what you were saying, unto God belongs the issues of death. Mm -hmm. He owns this place now. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 21, but God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hairy scalp of such an one as goeth on still in his trespasses. Verse 22, the Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan. I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. Mm -hmm. So we see not just in Ephesians 4, but even in the Old Testament, it affirms it Mm -hmm. that, that not only did he ascend, but he also descended before his people, proving his authority his ownership of this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Re- Revelation 1.18, he's got the keys. And on a, and a side note, um, but I think it's, it, is a, it is analogous to this, is the idea that when Jesus actually revealed himself in his resurrected body, that he was in a state before his disciples that was not yet his ascended state. So in other words, he, it's clear that he didn't ascend because he had not yet ascended. Something was happening in those three days. It was a descent, not an ascent. Because in, in John chapter 20, we he tells them, touch me not, for I've not yet ascended. Yes. But then like within moments, mm-hmm. he's back. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, he, like, yeah. Like Mary and the ladies, he's like, hey, don't touch me. Yeah. And then the next thing, they're like worshiping at his feet. He's, he's okay with it. In that moment, as they're walking back, I mean, he's he's... Up and down from yeah, he's already heaven. he's he's offered his blood on the mercy seat. The, the, you know, the sh- his shed blood has been offered as atonement. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a it's pretty amazing. It's cool. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're gonna pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Man Kit Ho. I'm from Hong Kong, and I'm involved in international student ministry, and I'm preparing for the mission field. LFBI has been a great tool that uh, helps me to study the Bible with certainty that I know what the Bible said for myself and not just for that, that when I preach the gospel or uh, doing Bible study or um, teaching that I can teach with confidence this is what the Word of God said instead of just someone say so and so said. On the mission field there's many people that have never heard about Jesus Christ and if I'm, I don't know what the Bible said, when they ask questions about who is Jesus or what the gospel said, all I can say is like, I think in this way, but I cannot say um, this is what, a, what the Word of God said. So in terms of mission feel, when people ask me questions about Jesus, I can point this is what the Bible said with certainty. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org slash support. So anyway, Psalm 68, I think, is just a powerful passage. It is powerful. Now, if you continue, though, when you think about... Okay, so Genesis 23, Mm -hmm. right? You have Abraham is purchasing a plot of land for Sarah, who just died. It's the cave of of Machpelah. I'm Mm -hmm. sure I said that right. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, so he, he purchased this, this land. It's the only land he ever purchases in his lifetime. He purchases a, a, a burial ground for his wife. He ends up being buried there. His sons do. Mm-hmm. And so he purchases a land. Okay, so this, this picture that we see in Genesis 23 uh, is, is providing for us uh, a spiritual 
light. It's it's giving a spiritual light for what we understand from Abraham's bosom. Yeah, it's a shadow of of what we're talking about spiritually. There's something spiritual that is that happens in terms of death, burial, and resurrection for the saint. Yes. Right? When we're talking about hell and Abraham's bosom. What you're saying is in Genesis chapter 23, we have an allusion to a spiritual truth. We we have Abraham buying a field, mm-hmm. right? For his seed, which is a very important phrase, not just his wife, not just his kids, for his seed. Right. And so this is a resting place for the saints who follow him. This is a resting place for his seed. So Abraham purchases a place for the departed Old Testament saints. It's a very interesting thing. If you go to Matthew 13, 44, you have the, the story where uh, Israel is, is hid in a field. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're seeing here is that when Sarah dies, he is hiding, right? What we understand later on to be Israel in a field. Mm. Interesting then, so, so Israel is hid in the earth, which one could argue in, in the context of Abraham's bosom, in the earth, uh, Israel, there's a hiding place, a place of comfort for all of the Old Testament saints. Genesis 24, we have uh, following that purchase of the land, Abraham's getting old. And so he sends out his servant to find a bride for his son. Mm-hmm. So Abraham, a picture of God the Father, sends his servant to find a, a bride for the son. Right. That's Genesis 24. Sure. In Matthew 13, directly following Israel being hid in the field, we have a merchant man who's seeking goodly pearls. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, this merchant man gives everything he has. Right. He gives everything he has so that he can have that one thing that was found in the sea. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have this great picture of Israel being hid in the field, uh, this, this pearl that's being purchased with everything that he has. Mm-hmm. And then Genesis 25, we have Abraham dies, which we know. All types break down. God right. the Father yeah. is not dead. Yeah. But when Abraham dies, he is making room for Isaac, his son, to rule and reign. Mm-hmm. So 23, Sarah dies and, and he buys land to hide his seed in the earth. Right. There's a there his son then is provided a, a bride, mm-hmm. right? And then in chapter 25, Abraham is is uh, he dies, but he's making room for his son then to rule and reign. So we see this this huge doctrinal picture in Matthew 13, but also in uh, Genesis 22 or 23, 20, 24, and 25. Yeah, it's it's incre- it's incredible to see. That. I, did, I I did not know that um, picture type existed at least in terms of think, considering Abraham's bosom and that holding place uh, until you brought it up. It's a really interesting picture type. Well, then when you, when you close out the, the, the study of Genesis 25, it says, then Abraham, in verse eight, then Abraham gave up the ghost. Okay, now Christ did that when he was on mm-hmm. the cross, right? Mm-hmm. And died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. So the text says he was gathered to his people, but before that, it says that he gave up the ghost. So in this, we see that while his body... Yeah. Slept in the grave. His soul, the real him, right. was reunited. He gives up the ghost. He's gathered to his people. Right. Two ways. His body is gathered to those on the earth, but his soul is gathered, right, in Abraham's bosom. So, so his soul is reunited then yeah. with all of the saints that, that, and, and faithful 
from Adam down to his day, Mm -hmm. right? And so we see this beautiful picture of Abraham buying land, burying his people, and then being buried with his people. Yeah. And here's here's the most compelling thing about it. Spiritually speaking, we understand that his people, Abraham's people, were not just those who were simply of his flesh. This is what the the Jews struggled with when we study passages like Romans 2, 3, and 4, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just that you are of Israel because you were born physically of Abraham. No, this is regarding a promised seed. Mm -hmm. So there's a promised seed by which Abraham is buried, Right, not a seed of the flesh, but a seed of the promise. Yeah, the the future um, Israel to come, right. the future spiritual people to come. Yes, yeah, spiritual nation. Uh, man, yeah, that's and that's a that's a compelling doctrinally. I mean, that's a statement in and of itself that there was a place that these folks had to go. They were going yes. somewhere. Right, and um, and clearly, you know, Scripture points to that being Abraham's bosom, which belonged to Abraham, Shur, belonged to Abraham, yep. and who stands as essentially the monarch. Right. over it, when, yeah. when we go back to Lazarus, right? And we see what's happening with Lazarus and the rich man, who is it that the dialogue has to go through as the rich man calls ap- across the goal? He talks to Abraham. Right, Abraham Absolutely. is the man in charge. And so he's the boss and, and he presides over this great company of people that live in paradise. Because Genesis 12, Genesis 15, the covenant was given to Abraham. Well, that's where when you go to, you know, say a doctrinal application, if mm-hmm. you will, of this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham's bosom now makes Romans 3 and 4, Galatians 3 and 4, make a ton of sense. Now, I think they already made sense, but but it just, it begins to connect the dots now. Mm. Because those in Abraham's bosom, it's not just that they were of his fleshly seed. Gen- Galatians 3 and right. 4 speak very poorly of that. Mm-hmm. Didn't even count Ishmael. Mm-hmm. No, no. Hit, those who are in Abraham's bosom are those who were of faith. Yeah. These were the Old Testament saints that placed their faith in God. Yeah. People of faith. And, and the beautiful thing is, and, and this is what we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that we too, uh, the, the, after the resurrection, those right. Gentiles that would come to know Christ, the, the you and me of, of the church age, we will one day, when we pass away, our soul and spirit will be separated from our body. It'll be in the grave, just like Abraham's body is dissolved in, you know, somewhere in ancient Israel, right, you know, right, yeah. like it's there somewhere. Our bodies will be reunited with our souls in the resurrection at the, at the rapture of Christ. Christ will make a call. Yeah. The saints of old, their bodies will, will come and, and, and meet with their soul and spirit. They'll be made new. We'll be right there with them. It'll be an amazing thing. But yet for us, following the resurrection, there's no delay. Right. Yeah. Whereas there was a holding place because we, the Old Testament saints, although placed their faith in God, there was no atonement. There was yes. no redemption of, of their, their souls yet. Right. Whereas for us, that's yes. why you, you, you read verses, absent with the body is present with the Lord. Exactly right. Old Testament saint could not say that. No. They could not say that. For you and I, man, immediate. Exactly, exactly right. Which is and, really and there's important. There's so many verses. That, Abraham's that, bosom today is not occupied, right? No, is, no, hell has been empty, emptied of it. And which is why this would be our argument because of the leading of captivity cap against any crazy notion of a purgatory or a place that exists, especially for New Testament saints. We are just as you said. 
when we pass away, our, our body is in the ground, but our soul and spirit are present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we are just awaiting uh, um, the renewal of our body. It's our hope. Our hope is the renewal of that body yes. in, uh, before the, the millennial reign. Yeah, you know, when you look at Hebrews 12, it says in uh, verse 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto an innumerable company of angels, mm. to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to, the, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Mm. So in some way, those, those, those just men of the Old Testament, well, they weren't made perfect at first. They needed, they needed his rep, uh, representation over them yes. to then be allowed into to heaven. Whereas for us, man, that was done yes. at the cross. Yeah, yeah. And so, what we see, there's hope mm-hmm. for the Old Testament saints. There's a place of comfort, but for us, man, it's it's a it's a done deal. Man, just to summarize, there's so much we covered here, um, and hopefully our listeners stay with us. And that we're, you know, it's it's a fun, it's a Bible study. We did a Bible study today. Yeah. Um, why is this so important? Like, you know, we've talked about the doctrine and the historicity mm-hmm. of these things, and. Just to summarize, why is all of this important for us to know? Why does it impact our theology to believe in uh, Christ's descent and deliverance of his people? So historically, right, uh, if we're thinking of Abraham's bosom historically, uh, that was a necessary place for all the Old Testament saints. That was necessary. Uh, Without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, there would be no entry for any of the Old Testament saints. So, so even just viewing mm-hmm. it from a historical standpoint, they needed a place where they could be uh, before the cross. Uh, so that was a holding place uh, where they would await their rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think doctrinally, we, we mentioned that already, but um, we see that, that, like you were talking about earlier, the, the eternal consciousness of our soul. Mm-hmm. Abraham's bosom, Luke 16, and many other passages show us that when you die, that your soul is not just annihilated, you're not just done, that, that your soul lives on. It's eternal. Yeah. The real mm-hmm. you is eternal, whether in separation from God or in union with him, mm-hmm. but you will live on forever. You know, in, so, so doctrinally, that's a huge thing, and, and it's, it's quite significant. Like I said earlier, Abraham's bosom, it helps us to understand passages in the New Testament, Galatians 3 and 4, Romans 3 and 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham's seed is not that of the flesh. Abraham's seed is that of the promise. Um, and so Abraham's bosom then is for all those who placed their faith in God. Those are his people, mm-hmm. which is what Paul was always arguing against. Mm-hmm. And you, you claim you're of Israel, but you don't have the faith of, of Father Abraham. That's what God's looking for. Right. It's people of faith right. that place their faith in him. Um, and then you have devotionally, I, I think if we were to just say like, obviously Abraham's bosom doesn't really affect us, mm. right? Um, I think it does give us an understanding of what God has always looked for is faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but devotionally, just as God reserved a place for the Old Testament saints, God is also reserving a place for you and I. Mm-hmm which is of such comfort, you know, to know that, that he is preparing a place, right? Yeah. Uh, if God is spending that much time preparing a place for you and I, shouldn't we also be preparing as well? Like, shouldn't we be living our lives in such a way 
that I'm preparing for that time. Right. I'm preparing for that day. I'm preparing for that place. I mean, even though I'm not directly affected by Abraham's bosom, the whole context of, of the story that God would prepare a place and, and, and have a, a place of comfort for his people. Yeah, spare us from wrath. Yes, and rescue us, yeah. which we, we know is, is the same story, mm-hmm. just in a different manner. Yeah. Uh, if he would do that for the Old Testament saints, if he has done that for us, uh, man, shouldn't that compel us with everything that we know we have to look forward to? Mm-hmm. That should p- compel us to also prepare. Yeah for that day, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's the judgment seat of Christ or just, man, eternity future. Yeah. What good is faith and hope if it doesn't produce something in the way that you live and behave, which is, you know, the point of, of, you know, um, Hebrews 12 and, and, you know, when we, we hear about the saints of old and the way that they lived and the way that they behaved and we consider what they committed in their actions that began with, with faith and a hope in a future yeah. A dwelling place, mm-hmm. a place that they would ultimately lay their heads. They had a they had a future kingdom in mind. All mm-hmm. those, the Abrahams and the Moses and the, the 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 saints of old, they had a place in mind. And uh, man, how amazing is it that we get to see in the narrative of Scripture them come into the reality of what they they gave their lives for it. Mm-hmm. They they laid down their lives for yeah. something they couldn't see that they never possessed in this life. No. Yeah, which begs the question, why is that not true of us? Right. Yeah. Pretty powerful. Absolutely. Dan, uh, thank you for studying this. Well, I hope I didn't just confuse everyone. <laughs> I don't, I don't, if people are listening closely enough and we'll also give, we'll leave notes. We always like to leave for the, the more complicated episodes. We leave uh, episode notes so that people can study on their own, but Man, thank you. And this is an opportunity for you to briefly plug the Life of Christ class that you teach in the Bible Institute. Tell us a little bit about um, the Life of Christ. Well, number one, this was my first time teaching it this last semester, mm-hmm. and so it was a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, a challenge too. You know, uh, I just studying it out myself and, and studying it more than you know I had before. It was it was very uh, good for me. You know, like mm-hmm. when I think about it, I'm like, there's things that I thought I knew and I'm thinking, wow, these are just things that I just held on to because I was taught them when I was younger. Right. Yeah. And so it was great for myself. Um, walking through the gospels, uh, there's no way to teach it in 16 weeks. Uh, but man, I, I think as we got through the, the, the whole study that God used it, uh, man, I'd love for people to to take it. I, mm-hmm. I don't know when the next time we're, we're offering yeah, it. Yeah, soon. But, uh, uh, it's like the rapture, soon. Right, yeah. It's imminent. <laughs> it's imminent. Uh, but would love to have uh, students take it. We cover this, but not to this degree. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. go into Abraham's bosom that much. I yeah. mean, we, we do, because it's a part of the narrative. But uh, yeah, we're looking at, um, man, the context of, you know, the gospel of the kingdom, versus the gospel of the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're in Matthew quite a bit, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, uh, the mystery in king, uh, uh, in, uh, I'm sorry, the kingdom in, in, in mystery form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's a nice, interesting transition as you walk through the passage. We look at his miracles, the parables, uh, you know, some of the foundational passages that you find. Mm. Uh, and so, but it's, it's a great time. Uh, well, I think you'll be challenged too. I think so, and I, we've we've heard great things from the students that took it, and yeah. and so um, we're looking forward to that class being offered again, and we want to invite people to be a part oh, of it. Oh yeah, we yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. 
Dan, thanks again. I appreciate you, man. Well, I appreciate you. And we are thankful for you as well, the listener who hung with us and, and, and went through this study with us and And one of the things that we want to do on the show is we want to cultivate in you, the listener, a desire to go deeper in God's word, uh, to go beyond, you know, uh, just, you know, maybe what you get typically in the pulpit. You know, the idea of the postscript is that we're having conversations that are kind of in between the conversations that that come out of the pulpit ministries of your churches, but also uh, the teachings in the Bible Institute themselves. Dan himself said that in the Life of Christ course, that they touch on Abraham's bosom, but they don't get to talk about it in depth. And so we want to create space for that on the show. And when we do that, we want to spark in you a desire to know God's word even more. And so we want to invite you to visit lfbi.org check out our program of study, uh, what classes we offer. We want you to jump in wherever uh, you fit into that program in terms of how it's laid out, whatever level of development and maturity and understanding of God's word that you kind of come in with. We want you to jump in with us and we want to invite you to take Life of Christ. And the next time that it's offered, we want you to to, to be a part of that and, uh, and get a, a theological uh, foundation for who Christ is to you and, and what he means to your life. And so all of that said, we love you. We're grateful for you. Uh, subscribe to the show on YouTube, uh, like, share, uh, get the word out. We want people to, to fall in love with God's word and, and hear about what we're doing at the Bible Institute. But we love you. And we'll see you next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.